When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Craig and Katya. And you know what we want to tell them about? Hawaii Five-0 is having a sale on pilgrim hats. That's right, and pumpernickel. <laughs> pumpernickel bread is so underrated. That's why I choose rye. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to go check out my options on patreon.com slash Katya and Craig. That's where all the relevant tea is spilled, Ooh. as it were, and not to mention certain facts that can be used as receipts upon dragging a person, Exposing. tearing off their wig, mm-hmm. um, going off, snapping. Snatching. Snatching. Absolutely. Spalding. Oh, Spalding yeah. gray her. <laughs> Drag her, monologue her. Diane Weist her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Ellen barking her to death, hunty. Barbara Hershey. Oh, who Hershey? Who was she? Damn. Find out all mm. that and more on patreon.com slash Katya and Craig. Because what, what do we have there? We got the bonus episodes? We got bonus episodes. We got uh, we got extra episodes. We got exclusive episodes. We got firewall pay-through uh, non-standard uh, secret episodes. We got movie clubs. We got anti-movie clubs. Yep. We got uh, fish and chips. We got haggis. We got uh, deals and uh, deal or no deals. And we got uh, Howie Mandel's OCD uh, pay-per-view comedy hour. That's right. Absolutely. All that and more plus listen to questions. So listen, go there at the patreon.com slash Katya and Craig and enjoy yourself. So listen, why don't we get into the episode? episode now a russian ballerina stopping on a bureaucrat a perky suburban housewife who just got into scats it's whimsically volatile test oh yeah <clears throat> perfect okay so. oh you've got such a good radio voice oh why thank you <laughs> you you you're you why thank you yes why thank you crazy that's why i like wearing headphones so i can hear it my radio voice myself it, it, it gives is. you a, it definitely gives a mood it's yeah it's a it's a scene setter isn't yeah. it yeah and of course you're hearing I wonder, your voice can i make of, my uh, mic louder uh well let's see a or little will that bit mess up your N- levels no 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 so keep talking check test one two test oh yeah that feels good okay yeah that's a little yeah that's a little bit better actually <laughs> i might adjust mine as well uh i yeah. had it rolled down a little bit because using this portable interface it's a little different than the other thing mm-hmm. I use. Portable yeah. interface. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the new record, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a new record coming out. Uh, or, sorry, no, I have a couple singles coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm using the old term vernacular. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. I made. I've been working on music in Paris. You've been living in Paris. I've been living in Paris. I've been mm-hmm. living in Paris as a refugee for about a year and a half. You don't mind if I vape, right? Not at all. Okay. Uh, wait, is that nicotine it's, it's or nicotine. marijuana? Nicotine. Oh, well, I'm not interested. Oh well, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't get the writer ahead of time. And, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I didn't send it. So. Oh, well, okay. You're no, so not do. your fault. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went to Paris for three days. And mm-hmm. I never left. <laughs> and when was this that you went for the three day? That weekend? was December 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I went, a friend, uh, Alex Ekman, had a premiere at the Garnier. Mm-hmm. So I went for his premiere. And then I was working on a song with Mira Way. And mm-hmm. so I was there for three days. And after three days, I just didn't feel like leaving. Yeah. So I literally just never came back to New York. <laughs> now, how long until you found an apartment that's your regular residence? 
Um, well, I didn't realize that I was going to stay, stay when I initially sure. stayed. Yeah. So I woke up uh, after being there for three days and I was very hungover <laughs> because we had gone to the premiere at the Garnier. Sure. And we had stayed up all night long and drank champagne. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had we were basically like naked running through the Garnier taking pictures up all night. <laughs> and then I woke up the next day. I was with a friend of mine, Manesh, and uh, he had to get back to New York because he has a real job and um i just couldn't move and i felt so good in some strange way Uh and so i just said i'm not coming back and he freaked out because he was like how are you going to get back how are you going to get a ticket where are you going to stay i was like i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know um but i think a big part of the reason why i stayed is because american politics were stressing me out so much Mm. And so when I got to France and I didn't understand what anyone was saying, oh sure, yeah, I felt so much more relaxed. Okay, yeah, I can imagine that. I have only been to a country for any length of time where they don't speak English as the standard language once. Recently, it was Iceland, and there was a strange comfort in it. It wasn't as uh, dislocating as maybe I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it kind of surprised me. I couldn't really put my finger on why I felt. So good. I yeah. mean, Paris is gorgeous, and everyone was very welcoming to me and really excited that I was there. And, and the food's getting better, I hear, right? Food's the, amazing. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? It's cheaper than New York. It it's is? better. Oh, my God, yeah. It's wow. way cheaper than New York. It's yeah. better quality. It's mm-hmm. The atmosphere is gorgeous. Yeah. So I extended my trip for one more week, and then after that week, I was like, I guess, I, I guess I'm going to move to Europe. I ended up finding a flight back. A week later, Mm -hmm. it was right before Christmas, and then uh, traffic was terrible, and I ended up missing my second flight back (laughs) by five minutes. Yeah. Norwegian Air really fucked me over. <laughs> I had I had nothing but a carry on. They still had not taken up, but they were like, it no more. It was fifty five minutes before my flight. I uh, was not checking a bag. That's ridiculous. And they wouldn't let me on. That's ridiculous. So I begged them. I was like, listen, you don't understand. If you don't let me on this flight, you know, yeah. I my lease is up on January first. All the flights are three thousand uh-huh. dollars. I'm not going to be able to make it back to the United States. I'm not going to see my family. I'm not going to be able to deal with i'm you have no idea like you're about to like (laughs) unravel everything and they just would not budge and so i went back to i took the train back into paris and i was Mm -hmm. really dejected and confused and a friend of mine told me to go to an opening and i walked into this art opening i knew the art dealer and it was the most bizarre thing. I walked in. Uh, I hadn't seen him in years. And mm-hmm. he was like, you know, what are you doing here? Yeah. And I said, I just missed my flight. And he said, um, where are you staying? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> he was like, I have an empty room. You can stay with me. Yeah. He was like, what are you doing for dinner? I was like, I don't know. I'm broke. And he was like, we have a huge dinner. You're coming to dinner. Yeah. And you're moving to Paris. <laughs> There you go. Settled. And then I went to dinner that night, this like super fancy dinner. And everyone was like, oh, what are you doing in Paris? And I just started saying oh i I just moved to paris and then i floated around through the holidays yeah. and everyone was out of town so i kind of apartment surfed mm-hmm. through that holiday yeah then by january 15th someone heard that i knew needed a spot and i rented a room in the marais and what's the marais the marais is the uh it was originally the jewish ghetto and then uh-huh. it became the kind of super gay neighborhood in mm-hmm. the 80s and the 90s. And now it's basically, you know, a super gentrified 
fancy mall. But Oat Marais is a little bit chicer. Okay. Murray, Murray, Old Marais is the fourth. And then I was in the third, which is, a, is very fashion. So it seems like knowing what some other stories I know about your life, you... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got a deep background on you. No, you sort of um, are open to moving along with the, with the wind, this was maybe the largest go with the flow I've ever gone. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's pretty substantial. And I'll, actually, let me also ask, what was the, the family reaction to Christmas time when you couldn't uh, get they back? They were cool. They were yeah. really cool. Yeah. And my dad was like, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, actually, I'd love a flight to Madrid. Uh-huh. And I went to Madrid and had an affair with a photographer and made a music video. That was an absolute disaster. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Did the video come out? The video never came out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of disaster? Was it just... I had been having this ongoing romance with this photographer that I'd met off of Grindr. Yeah. And uh, it started in New York in October. Mm-hmm. And then the photos he was taking were so incredible yeah. that he f- documented the rehearsal period for our big show in New York for Sir. Mm-hmm. They were the best rehearsal photos anyone's ever taken. Mm-hmm. Then I convinced the label to fly him back from London, back to New York, to be there for the show. He made amazing photos of the show. Yeah. Then we met again in Paris in December. And then, you know, he had invited me to come to Madrid for New Year's. So mm-hmm. we'd kind of had this ongoing thing for yeah. a couple months. And then when I got to Madrid, uh, everything kind of unraveled emotionally. Oh, I see. Sure. Now, what song was the video? for uh stranger strange okay yeah Yeah. the worst part was i cast the super hot guy to play kind of a romantic character with me in the video Mm -hmm. and when i got there he had also been flirting with the photographer (laughs) online so we had all three been flirting with each other sure and so as our relationship was falling apart and we were both flirting with this uh actor yeah we got there and I thought, well, okay, maybe this is going to be, you know, n- n- not this heteronormative thing that I had imagined. And maybe it's going to be this cool international thruple. Uh, yeah, sure. And then basically they both rejected me and they ran off together. Oh, God. While we're shooting. Oh, that's really great for the uh, inspiration. Yeah. yeah. It actually was good because of with the night that, it, you know, he uh, left me at home alone and went to fuck the other guy. <laughs> yeah. I was so f- fucking furious and yeah. I had to fin it. We had another day of shooting left that I was, you know, I was like, that's it. I don't care about this film. I'm out of here. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then I stayed up all night long and I rewrote the script mm-hmm. in anger. Yeah. And also knowing what we'd shot during the day. And it ended up being a better film because, and I also. You know, men come and go. Yes. And art lives forever. That's true. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make something great out of something awful. And in the end, I'll be the champion. Do you find that that has helped in previous examples of maybe being depressed or having some bad luck happen that you think, you know what? I can turn this into something. 
I mean, that is the blessing of being an artist is that you have a way to process your pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of sirs about that. Mm-hmm. So I had gone through, I had very, very difficult times where I, my building was sold and then I was evicted and I was essentially homeless and I was in a long-term relationship that unraveled. And then I got in a new relationship that was fantastic and awful. And <laughs> so there, all those things are in there. And that, uh... and Michael Stipe really taught me how to, use your experience in a way that's um uh, you know w- where you can like tap into the emotional qualities and not get mired in too much personal detail mm-hmm. in a so way. in a different way than you had approached it before i think uh, before i would really i'm a storyteller yeah. and so i would really try to tell exactly what happened and sure. sometimes that uh adhering so closely to fact mm-hmm. can uh it can make the ideas too complicated. And okay. so in a way he taught me how to sort of generalize, transpose, collage. Mm-hmm. And give like hints of things yeah. and uh, just get across the feeling instead or of reportage. I can relate to other people's emotions uh-huh. and transform them into mine. And, sure. You know, he's taught me ways of kind of restructuring emotion in performance and writing. Yeah. And Michael Stipe executive produced and co-wrote a lot of the record and produced... He yes. was a producer, not executive producer. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Bad facts that I read. Yeah, yeah. I was oh, like, really? well, I just, you know, I always do like research, no matter how much I know about someone. Yeah. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, I did. I, whoops, I almost said producer. He executive but I was produced wrong. a film that I made once, so you oh, probably yeah. saw that. He executive produced a film called. No, there Dust. was an article that said executive produced the the album, sir, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Turns out I had better info. It's all linguistics. Yeah, that's true. So he wor- worked on the record. Yeah. Yes. He's played a large role in your life in general, right? Yes, very. Mm-hmm. He was my first boyfriend and the first man that I ever had sex with. So it was crazy to make a record about homosexuality with your first lover. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And we worked on it in Georgia and we were staying in his house. So basically, yeah. you know, how old was I? 2018. 28, 34, 30 years later, I kind of returned back to where my sexuality began to make a record about sexuality <laughs> with the man <laughs> that started it all. Yeah. Have you remained in fairly consistent contact since the 80s? Uh, no, we have we had seasons, I would say, and he gets busy and I get busy and sure. we sort of go our separate ways. So, and it, But that's sort of true of a lot of people in my life. Yeah. I, I like to work. I'm a hard worker. And so I tend to uh, see the people that I work with. Sure. Is how I have, you know, my most profound relationships, I would say. Right. And also, even though you were primarily a New Yorker by residence, you have traveled rather extensively over the yes, span of your career and everything. I have been almost everywhere. Did you travel a lot before? Fisher Spooner started? Um, I traveled a little bit. I had, uh, when I was, uh, you know, in high school, I did like a class trip to France. And then I would say um, in my mid-20s, I tried to be a model. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Europe and did a little traveling then. And then uh, Fisher Spooner definitely touring that took me further around the world sure yeah and then more comfortable with taking trips when you're not working i like to stay home but it's a really hard for me to i don't know exactly where home is okay i yeah. mean i'm sort of reevaluating the the idea of home mm-hmm. um, because i lived in brooklyn you know for i lived in new york for 23 years mm-hmm. the past couple years has been about 
really on my own trying to figure out where I feel the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And New York has gotten prohibitively expensive for yeah. creatives. Although I have so many memories and so many friends and so much history here, but there's no one place that feels right for me. Mm-hmm. So I need to kind of live in multiple places simultaneously. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Athens, Georgia. All my family is from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Albany, Georgia until I was about nine or 10. We lived in, my parents went back to school uh, when I was 10 or so. We lived in Athens, Georgia for one year. Then we moved to Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I finished high school, went to middle school and high school there, went back to Athens, Georgia for my freshman year of college. That's when I met Michael Mm -hmm. and uh, lots of people in Athens, Georgia, spent a year there. Then I went to Chicago and went to the Art Institute, uh, lived there for about six years, then moved to New York. When you mentioned that you were sort of discovering your homosexuality with Michael, what had you felt before in terms of uh, attraction to people? And that's a, a interesting question. I I wasn't a very sexual person. I think also any uh, kind of homosexual desire I had was eclipsed by the AIDS crisis. Sure. So when I was growing up, it was the 80s. And so everything on top of the conservatism of the American South plus the AIDS crisis mm. It kind of uh, shut me down sexually. Sure. Yeah. So I was, uh, I had to deal with a lot of fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. which I think I've conquered. Yeah, I would say. Finally. <laughs> and I think it's interesting also for people listening to uh, hear that from someone who, you know, made Sir. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, everyone, everyone has a journey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I know. My family is really like, what? happened to our boy what's your family's reaction to your art well um my mother was my art teacher when i was younger oh, wow and so she uh had a very profound effect and uh in the 70s she was really into progressive education mm-hmm. um and in the small town in georgia she went to the private school where they had no art program and convinced them to start an art program oh, wow And they had no classroom, they had no Mm -hmm. budget, and she convinced them to let her uh, build a program and basically take a cart from room to room to create an art program. Mm -hmm. And in exchange, I got to go to this uh, private school. And so I grew up with her teaching art in my school, and so I was always kind of immersed in, I would say, a very encouraging, creative uh, environment. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad is a lawyer, uh, and he's a very charismatic performer. So I think that sort of the genesis of my everything is this combination of <laughs> sure. visual art and performance that yeah. literally comes directly from my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I have definitely gone further than I think they ever imagined. <laughs> and uh, they uh, are supportive in a very general way. Sure. Um, but I think they have to kind of turn a bit of a blind eye because they cannot relate to all of the subject matter. Subject matter. And, sure. It's so foreign for them. Sure. But they're supportive. And it's kind of like John Waters line about his parents he's like i don't make them watch desperate living yeah you know they're just happy yeah. for, that i do what i do yeah and that's it yeah. yeah they just want me to be like 
safe and happy and yeah you know yeah exactly. come home every so often <laughs> every once in a while yeah yeah how often do you get to go back uh last year i went back four or five times i went back um a more than usual uh it's definitely more difficult now that i'm in france sure uh so i try to see them about twice a year i'm trying to get them to come and travel more but well, yeah getting them to come to paris would be fun i know exactly how long is the flight from paris to georgia uh, like what's the travel time Oh, I, you know, it's like around six to eight hours. It depends if you're which direction you're going. It's faster when you go on six, seven, eight hours. It's really not that bad. It's not that bad. Hmm. But no one in my family has traveled as extensively as I have. And so they really can't fathom how you can go to all these places and not speak languages and oh, sure. deal with currency. And mm-hmm. they have a lot of xenophobia. Well, it's funny because when, when you go, you realize that everyone else speaks our language, but we don't speak any of the mm-hmm. I know. Exactly. I was amazed in Iceland at the different accents that they would perform English. In. Wow. Because some of them would be very, I, I would try to figure out what TV show maybe that they uh-huh. really liked. One or two of them, you could tell they were excited to like get to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they spoke it better than some of the people I know. So Amazing. <laughs> the currency is fine too, because with debit cards, right? That's what I mean. You, yeah. You've, and also you, 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 you figure it out. You do. Although I was confused by, was it Kroner in Iceland? Because the period's in a different place. So oh, you're like, well. oh, what is that? It's a thousand. What? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I've never been to Iceland. I've always wanted to go. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. It's really nice. I didn't do any of the things that you're supposed to do, you know, like uh-huh. the hot springs and all that right, stuff. Right. Because my host is not into that stuff. And I really wanted to just visit my friend. And plus, we're both movie nerds, so we just watched a bunch of movies. Like, I saw The Thing for the first time. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite movies? Oh, I mean, um, I think one of my favorites is Cassavetti's Opening Night. Oh, my God. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Especially because when it takes that turn, yeah, you don't expect it because none of his other work has any kind of non-realistic aspects i mean that movie was i think a a big part of also the genesis of fisher spooner really like creating this confusion as to what's intentional and what's accidental okay Mm -hmm. um and that aesthetic uh is a really great one to adopt because once you're on stage and you've kind of set up these parameters where you know uh, you don't know what's accidental and what's intentional Mm -hmm. it makes everything uh, possible. It makes everything okay. Okay. So sure. even when there is an accident, you you know that no one else knows, and so as long as you don't freak out, then you can keep going, and it just becomes like more excitement. True. It's like Brian Eno's line about art being the place where you can crash your airplane and then just walk away. Nice. I never heard that. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. I love Brian De Palma's Body Double. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, architecture, music, mm-hmm. all of it. And the Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Which is one of the strangest moments. Strangest in... <laughs> ever. <laughs> and the, everything about it, the looks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think, what else do I love? We'll return to movies, I'm sure. It, yeah. it happens on the show. I haven't been watching film or TV much mm-hmm. in the past couple years you've been working a lot though yeah i work i travel i got sick of carrying a laptop so i just stopped carrying it do everything on my phone okay Mm -hmm. so and you know i literally like the past year and a half i wasn't anywhere for more than two or three weeks Mm -hmm. sometimes a couple days or a week so the less i carried the better what do you take in your luggage a lot of black prada nylon (laughs) as long as i have Black Prada nylon. You don't have to wash it. It always looks good. You don't have to iron it. You look expensive. Perfect. It's completely practical. 
I'm a complete like Prada whore. Do you have any tips for uh, having to keep a garment fresh when you don't have the opportunity to use the laundry? Because I just read something about spraying vodka. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a showbiz thing. Okay. Like if you can't wash your costume, you just spray it with um, vodka. I got a new detergent. And it didn't quite do the trick. And mm-hmm. I discovered it, of course, while I was out, which was horrifying. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, my God, is it baked in? What am I going to do? And so I did the full research vodka treatment. Then, um, you know, everything else. The baking mm-hmm. soda, like a whole series of things, including, I think, this shirt, the one we were talking about, yes. which was ripped off from a designer. Yeah, my friend Davi. We were talking about when Fisher Spooner started. So that was after you moved to New York. Mm-hmm. It was uh, We did our first performance in 1998. And the first performance was at the Astroplex Starbucks, uh-huh. is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I was in another band called Sweet Thunder, uh-huh. and um, that band I was in for about a year was organized by uh, Kelly Kuvo and uh, Raina Russum, mm-hmm. formerly Gavin Russum from okay. LCD. Uh-huh. And Kelly and Raina had started this band called Sweet Thunder, and it was a very like democratic concept band about Niagara Falls. And so there were about eight different people, and everyone took turns writing songs. Everyone, each person would kind of tell everyone what to do on their song. Mm -hmm. So I had been in that band, and mostly I'd been doing experimental theater and experimental performance all through the 90s. And I just fell into the band because Kelly needed help uh, carrying her um, guitar and amp to Mm -hmm. the first rehearsal. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I carried it. I got there. I knew everyone at the rehearsal. And when I started to leave, everyone was like, where are you going? And I was like, well, I don't play an instrument. I'm not a musician and I don't sing. (laughs) And they were like, it doesn't matter. Just join the band. Mm -hmm. And so I just joined this band just because everyone talked me into it. And I mean, I guess this is an example of me going with the flow, just going with the flow. So everyone was like, join the band. And I liked everybody. And again, it's the way I spend time with people is working with them. Sure. Yeah. So I was like, I like all these people. Okay, fine. I'll join the band. Yeah. So I joined the band and we did that for about a year and then kelly had befriended these guys who were students at nyu and they were organizing friday night performances at the astro play starbucks Mm -hmm. and kelly was doing kind of a variety show where everyone from sweet thunder they all everyone had their own kind of like other projects yeah and so different people came it was a full night kind of like variety show sure And simultaneous to that, I had been working on a film project with Warren and Karen Fisher, and um, we were working on the soundtrack for that film piece, and then it accidentally turned into a song that Mm. was a story about an Indian cab driver trying to pick me up that I'd been telling. And so this thing kind of morphed from a film soundtrack into a song yeah kelly knew about it and kelly was like why don't you and warren perform that new song you've been working on and so kelly was the one who really kind of forced that to happen and then we did this one performance and in that one performance there was kind of i would say the dna of fisher spooner where Mm -hmm. It was a strange combination of performance art and fashion and theater and music and mistakes because I had built in a mistake into the song where I'm singing and then I say like, you know, stop the track, start over, crank the beat, turn the bass up or something. But it was as if I was talking to him to like make something yeah, change. Yeah, right, right, yeah. But then when we did it, something did go wrong. <laughs> and we did have to start over. So the very first performance had a mistake, a yeah. fake mistake, yeah. and then a real mistake. So uh-huh. I had a real mistake, 
where you hear me fake a mistake and then we start it over sure. and then you hear the fake mistake again. Right. So it was like, wait, that mistake was staged. Planned. Yeah. 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 And then it was after that singular performance that, you know, singular uh, sensation. Singular, you know, my roommate, Cindy Green at the time, I'll never forget. I came home and she was like, you figured it out. She's like, it's all the things that you know how to do combined uh-huh. perfectly. And then we started writing and recording in the fall of 98. Hey, every guy. Well, hello. Join award-winning comedic Sean Tu's Devin Green and platinum compact disc honoree handsome Ned Douglas at the Art House, Provincetown, Massachusetts. We play songs you never wanted to hear that way. August 3rd, 5th, and 6th only. VIP ticket holders will receive our new book, Everyone Fuck Off. Oh. Put your pants on, pull your boots up, and get walking. More information at devongreen.com. All sales final, batteries not included. Your first record was out on... We self-released. Oh, okay. okay. We made up a fake label called For Those Who Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started releasing first through uh, our art gallery at the time, Gavin Brown's Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we did an event, like an arts event, and this DJ John Selway saw us perform... And then he licensed and released the first 12-inch of Emerge and Turn On on vinyl. And then that was heard by DJ Hell. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, released the first record in Germany and mainland Europe uh, on International DJ Gigolos. And then that got picked up, that got kind of bought out by Ministry of Sound Mm -hmm. for the UK and Europe. And then that label imploded and (laughs) we were in meetings with uh, other labels to take over the rest of the world and capital stepped in and bought everybody out and released it worldwide. Wasn't there a bidding war for Um, you guys? Yeah, there were all kinds of crazy, crazy. I mean, it was such a different time. I mean, it was nuts. Like... Um, Ministry of Sound was chasing us, and I hated that label. And <laughs> why did you hate them? Uh, just because it was like cheesy, and mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't really my. You know, I wasn't really coming from like this kind of like um, dance music culture. Okay, sure. And so I just would look at what they were doing. It was all like people in Ibiza wearing, you know fake fur leg warmers <laughs> with like you know rave it was kind of ravey okay sure and yeah. we were more kind of punk indie rock i felt sure conceptual yeah it wasn't really our scene and yeah. so um anyway they literally chased us like they would we would we were doing performances uh and we were playing razzmatazz like four or five o'clock in the morning uh-huh. or in Portugal. And all these A&R guys in expensive shirts and big watches would t- follow us <laughs> and be at the clubs yeah. and trying to get backstage. And I was literally just said, no, I just kept saying, no, I don't want to work with them. No. And they would follow me from city to city to city. Do you think it whetted their appetite even more that you were Oh my refusing? God, I made them crazy until finally they paid for me to fly over on Concord. <laughs> to have one meeting where you said no which i said no i said i'm only doing this because i want to fly on the concord and i was staying at the sanderson in a suite and there was another label that was i don't even know how they knew i was there when i arrived they had already sent a bottle of cristal from a competing label wow and then another label was sending like helmet newton books to my apartment (laughs) 
<laughs> and you know the giant one that's yeah. like the coffee table size yeah, yeah. one which i wasn't there to receive so oh. i didn't get it oh no it was a bummer yeah. so yeah there was a time when people really threw money around to try to seduce you now what was that like because you were living in new york and i imagine as an artist and someone in experimental theater uh you were you know getting by but it might have been on uh kind of tight oh budgets. my god are you kidding i was dirt 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 poor sure i mean like when they came to for me to go to the airport, you know, I went in a white limo, but I had literally $3 in the bank. So when I landed in London, I couldn't even leave the hotel suite because I couldn't, I couldn't buy a cup of coffee. Right. So I was basically yeah. like trapped yeah. in a suite. Trapped by luxury. Trapped by luxury. And also they had a driver for me, but that was sort of a covert way for them to monitor our meetings with our lawyer, anything that we we're talking sure, about. So yeah, there was yeah. always a driver that was listening to anything I said. <laughs> so it was always kind of like monitored in a suite, yeah. in a Mercedes, but I had zero ability to like leave the hotel. I couldn't take the subway. I couldn't do anything. And sure. then when we landed, yeah. I had, I went to my lawyer and I was like, you know, I, re I can you send me home in a cab? Cause I don't, I have no cab fare. Right. It's <laughs> amazing. It was pretty extreme. How, long from then did you start getting an income it's a strange thing to be around luxury yeah but then not really able to access it or do what you want yeah and which is an interesting prism to look through though, yeah. right? i imagine yeah i mean there was a lot of talk about the money around the record which was wildly exaggerated and um that information was leaked from people that shouldn't have said anything yeah. because it sort of uh, i felt like it doomed the release because it it made everything about money what's well, like for instance another de palma film bonfire of the vanities yeah all they wrote about was how expensive it was yeah. so it really didn't stand a chance or ishtar which yes is a flawed film yeah all you read about was the yeah. over budget over budget over yeah, budget yeah, and yeah. then people have an enmity towards it because they're like well fuck those guys yeah exactly yeah you know other people were signed Signing like crazy, you know, like the Strokes were signing deals yeah. and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeahs. And all these people were basically in the same situation. Yeah. But what happened is, um, I don't even want to say the person's name because I don't want to give them the glory. But basically, there was someone who was an intermediary that we had signed a deal with where they were going to shop the record around. Sure, we'll call him Bob. Yeah. but So Bob was shopping the deals around and... We had signed on that deal that we had had discussions with Capital and all these yeah. other people. And so we had made exclusions. Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, you know, yes, you can shop the record around, but these labels are excluded. Okay. So that if something comes through with them, that was a pre-existing relationship and not something you... Can benefit from. Yeah. Okay. And so sure enough, Capital came through with the winning deal and we had a conference call where we had to call these guys and tell them that you know the deal was off and yeah. they weren't going to benefit from it right and i don't know exactly how they had gotten access to numbers or what the deal was or what the information was and within the week uh one of them went to rolling stone and leaked oh. the number mm -hmm. and made it a made it a press item because they were trying to fluff up the other acts that they were also shopping around oh, okay yeah so they kind of used us and had access to information that they shouldn't have right. and it was funny because the conference call when we called and told them it wasn't happening i hung up the phone and then the call didn't end and i picked the phone back up to try to call and i could heard them on the other line oh wow so what talking did you hear about them? you know they were like yeah i can't believe it you know da 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 um you know we can still 
you know, I, yeah, I can't remember. Or, yeah. I just remember being like, I cannot believe I'm hearing them talk about me. That's you know? so bizarre because rarely do we ever get to hear that. Yeah. You know, Jerry Lewis used to leave a briefcase accidentally uh, behind in meetings. It had what? a tape recorder in it. And he'd come back like an hour later. Oh, I'm so sorry, dear, to the secretary. I, you know, did, I think it's in there. Can you? And so he would have them all on tape. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to hear those tapes. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, that shit works. Yeah. Earlier, before we started taping, you said that there might be a... Oh, boy, I don't know what... I didn't know. No. I did not. No comment. No? Okay. No, definitely no. Okay. So that's not for uh, public consumption. Mm-mm. No. Especially because, you know, you have a presidential campaign coming There's up. a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's uh, a lot. I mean, that is probably the most... Scandalous thing. ...thing is that I'm going to run for president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you have this fine gear on, the promo gear. Yes. I have my Nike custom yeah. presidential workout. That's great. You've been working collection. with Nike on, on the collection. Mm-hmm. Are there yeah. other pieces of the collection? Is this? Yeah, the, yeah. These are just the first samples. Hopefully I can uh, get some of those. Is, are, will they be available in the market? Uh, yeah, we were just testing for Pride to see sure. which what pieces worked and how it looked. And so I think we'll see how it unfolds over the next year and a half. Sure. Well, you have to figure in the retail aspect of the presidential campaign. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing that we're discussing because um, basically, you know, so I am actually going to run for president. So you're announcing it here, really? I'm I'm officially going to announce it tomorrow uh-huh. on the 4th of July. That's great. Um, there's a history of artists running for president. Mm-hmm. Joe um, Walsh. I don't know Joe Walsh. Oh, uh, from the Eagles. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know how it was maybe it was half hearted, but he seemed kind of uh sincere about it at the time. Yeah. I've been talking to Eileen Miles, the lesbian poet, ran ran in ninety two. Oh, really? And so you can run and you can run as an independent and you can run as a write in candidate. So I'm gonna explore a independent write in, independent get on the ballot. But basically the crazy thing is that traditionally I've not been a very political artist. Mm-hmm. And I would say that only within since Trump's election have I felt compelled to yeah. become more engaged and more knowledgeable. Um, and how would you say that that has um, exhibited in in your work? Would you like, for instance, Sir and its subject well, matter? Sir or? was made really in a time in the Obama years, oh, right. and That's so true, yeah. it was made in sort of a state of bliss. I would say. Uh, and then the release of it was delayed a year, and it didn't come out until after Trump went into office. So gotcha. I was actually, at first, I was very upset that the release was delayed. Um, but then once it was delayed, it, I realized it was a much better time sure. uh, to be releasing a record um, that was about queerness Yeah, after we were in this neo-liberal, I mean, neo-conservative times. Right. Yeah, so I don't know how or why I I I've just uh I, I've spent a lot of time um thinking in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um and it's been an interesting place to be because I've been in the midst of all their political crisis as well. What's going um, on there? Well, there's the um uh Gilets Jaunes mm-hmm. riots that happen every Saturday. Every Saturday. Every Saturday. And um, that's about how high their taxes are and uh, sort of the working class feeling that the urban bourgeoisie is, you know, profiting from their high taxes. Mm -hmm. And so they like to attack all the luxury neighborhoods. Uh, So it's uh, interesting because it feels like it's part of this French tradition of revolt. 
and you're always around uh, monuments that are always kind of uh, reminding you of the history of democracy and aristocracy and all sure. the political uh, changes that we've witnessed mm -hmm. that originated from the French. Um, so I think it kind of just got into me somehow being there. Yeah, absorbing it. And um, and then I was actually at a Cat Power show in January, last January, and I was... Uh, I was in the U.S. for a couple months, and there was a weird commercial that uh, came out uh, that was about Trump's campaign. And it was just something about the commercial was so strange to me. Like, it was a bad aesthetic. It was full of lies. <laughs> yeah. It was only up for a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. It was only could be seen on Twitter via... Uh -huh a link to another link and I read about it through the Washington post. And so anyway, just, I was just looking at that commercial and it, it just haunted me for some reason. Uh -huh. And, um, I was watching this cat power show and I don't know why, but all of a sudden I couldn't get that thing out of my head. And I kept thinking about the commercial and I was like, God, I was like, it's just so weird how entertainment news mm -hmm. and politics, mm -hmm have all merged into this one strange thing. Yeah. And how, you know, the news cycle is trying to get more attention because, and it feels like the more scandals or the more problems or the yeah. more hearsay or the more debate or the more of all this noise, yeah. the better it is for everyone to kind of get more attention, more hits, more likes, more sure. in this like media driven world. Yeah. And so anyway, I was thinking about that and I thought, God, I was like, well, you know, I could make a better commercial than that. Yeah. And then I was like, I was like, well, geez, I mean, really, I could make a better campaign than that. Yeah. And I always build, that's all that when I'm making music, I'm not just making music. I'm making the image. I'm making sure. the show. I'm overseeing photography. I'm doing the graphic design. I'm coming up with the core concept. It's like, it's a, 360 it's a, it's a campaign. Sort of yeah. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, damn, I was like, I could make a better campaign. Right. And then I was like, well, this is a, sort of a sad revelation, but I think I could actually be a better president. <laughs> I think you could. Yeah. So I sort of got the idea then and then for me, really, I end up working in all these fields that I had no experience in, to, right. in prior. Mm -hmm. So I didn't study music, right. and I w never was trained how to sing. Mm -hmm. I didn't study dance. I didn't study, you know, uh, uh, fashion. I haven't studied any of these things. Sure. I've all just kind of thrown myself into them yeah. and learned by experience. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's no better way than actually doing it. Yeah. And so that's really how I learn is I learn by getting involved yeah. and, uh, just by having, having to learn. Sure. Otherwise I'm pretty lazy, you know, <laughs> really? I have to kind of get myself in a situation that I can't get out of. <laughs> trapped again. Trapped. Yeah. <laughs> I always get trapped and then I always find my way out. So, yeah. So the more I thought about, and I need a big idea. I, I get really sure. bored. Uh -huh. I can't, that's one of the reasons why I'm really, it's not that I couldn't have a real job. It's just, I literally, my, I can't handle boredom. Mm -hmm. I really need to have a larger philosophical idea that I'm working off of. Yeah. And so just being like a commercial director or just like, 
taking photographs that are pretty, Mm -hmm. I can't do, I can't even maintain the attention to do it. So I've gotten kind of addicted to big ideas. Sure. And so, you know, Fisher Spooner was about uh, combining my experience in the arts with uh, pop entertainment. Right. And that idea has come to pass and has become part of the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's no reason for me to explore that anymore. So anyway, this is sort of, this is like a very strange and impossible idea for an artist to run for president. Right. And so that's exactly the kind of thing I'm excited by. Well, an artist is better than a reality TV star, I suppose. Being an artist, you have to be a business person. You Mm -hmm. have to be creative. I have to work with a lot of people. I have to manage teams. I've traveled the world. Yeah. So I actually think I have maybe the best experience for the job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone wants to question me on policy, which is definitely not, you know, it is my weaker uh, experience. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I don't think I, you know can't learn or understand with a great team well sure i mean that's would be true of a lot of people exactly particularly trump and he doesn't seem to be doing a great job of it exactly from what i gather you know from what i gather (laughs) so uh so for me running the campaign uh i don't really care if i win or not Mm -hmm. um it's more about learning Mm -hmm. and it's more about i think because i think also there's a big problem in america is complacency sure and so I've been thinking a lot about complacency and where that complacency comes from. And I have been a complacent American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that complacency, I, I, f- I have figured out, I think it comes from not trusting or believing in the system mm-hmm. and feeling that any th- action that you take is um, inconsequential. And so, number one, I'm trying to deal with complacency. Sure. And that's because we don't trust the system Mm -hmm. and I don't trust the system because I don't understand the system. Okay. So for me, I want to run a very transparent campaign Mm -hmm. where someone on the outside learns how to get into politics Mm. so that my role is to teach people, Mm -hmm. other people, younger people, someone who's not involved in politics, how it works. Sure. What is the damn electoral college? Mm -hmm. Why did she not win even though she had the popular vote? (laughs) Right. You know, like, what are these weird systems and where do they come from? Right. And how do we change them? Or how do we engage in them? Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of my artwork has been in a lot of ways, it's been mostly about systems. Mm -hmm. I've had to learn how the art world works in that system. I've learned how the fashion world works, everything around that system, the the music system. And really, it's all about systems and personas. Mm -hmm. So I always build a new persona, always go into a different system. So this is yet again, just another system. And it's just another persona. How similar are all those different industries? They're all very different. Really? I mean, even like when you say the word executive producer, sure. like what that means in film and what that means in music is totally different. Right. Now, what does it mean in music for those who don't? No. Uh, in music, an executive producer, uh, it's, it's, a, it's more someone who um, has a general oversight of a project mm-hmm. and they bring in, they kind of put the team together. Sure. Uh, in film, it can just be a, a name association so that they can raise financing. Sure. Okay. So you can just put your name. They're like, will you just be executive producer? And you no creative input, yeah. not on set. Don't see the edit. Right. Literally just like put your name on it so that they can raise the financing to get the film done. And then in fashion, 
what's the system like for fashion? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is that everyone sees all these people and all these amazing clothes and everyone uh, sort of perceives all this wealth mm, when sure. it's really this wild illusion mm-hmm. where everything is borrowed, everything is returned, uh-huh. they only make one you don't keep it. Uh-huh. So a lot of people think that I have like this insane wardrobe <laughs> right, and they're yeah. like, Oh my God, if I just get into your closet and I'm like, <laughs> honey, I wore that for an hour. It was messenger to me. It didn't fit. It was uncomfortable. Yeah. I had three pairs of socks on cause they only make sample size shoes in size 44 and 45 cause they don't know how big a model's foot is going to be. So they make all the sample shoes oh, wow. so big uh-huh. that they'll fit any foot. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, every time you see, a model on the runway they're literally wearing like three or four insoles because the <laughs> shoes are so big yeah just weird things like that right right so i want to do the same thing for politics in a way it sounds like the uh, amount of illusion is roughly commensurate amongst each of the exactly industries that you mentioned and there's and a lot of politics. perceived i mean in the art world you know uh, there i'd say one of the big and kind of most interesting qualities about the art world is it's all about fabricating value Mm -hmm. and how you construct this idea of value. Like how do you ascribe a certain dollar amount to this strange thing? You know, it's not, you can't. And so the way the art world works is it's all about controlling access to the product. Okay, sure. And even if you're the richest person in the world, you can't just like walk in and buy Jeff Koons. Mm -hmm. It's a whole elaborate relationship where you have to know the dealer, where you have to buy second, you have to buy lesser known works, where it's a courting process, where you're not even going to see the work that's available. Okay. So you have to kind of build a commitment and a relationship as a patron. Yeah. And that relationship is also tied into major institutions and museums because the museums have to collect them. And once the museum collects them, then that determines the value and authenticates it in a way. Uh-huh. And so there's a crazy elaborate relationship between collectors, dealers, artists, and institutions. Mm-hmm. Then throw in an auction house sure. and you've got a whole other, you know, complicated financial uh, relationship in terms of how value is fabricated. Right. Which reminds me of the bidding war. Exactly. I had a lot of trouble because I really wanted to build Fisher Spooner as this combination of the art world and entertainment. Mm -hmm. Basically it's one of the primary reasons why the, I would say we didn't have as much success as I would have liked. Uh, because when we were based in the art world, we were, um, uh, our value was more in our rarity. Okay. And then once we transitioned into entertainment and the popular realm, the art world sort of cooled uh-huh. and they stopped supporting or putting their resources towards the work that we would do. Sure. I thought that, you know, the entertainment world and the art world would share resources mm-hmm. and enjoy this idea that you could build something that could be popular and intellectually Stimulate. complicated yeah, and sure. stimulating. Yeah. Wasn't the case at all. I could not get the president of the record label to mm-hmm. talk to my art dealer. Could not even get them on the phone together. Really? And yeah. when I got them together in person, they didn't like each other. Do you think it was a, a predetermined sort of thing where they were like, you're 
anti my thing kind of yeah it was really felt like the art dealer was arrogant Uh and didn't want anything to didn't want to be sullied with you know (laughs) this common common popular person yeah who was like kowtowing to the general public and the entertainment people felt threatened and freaked out because they couldn't trust or believe what was the truth you know sure. i always felt like when i was telling them something they were weren't sure if i was te- if i was tricking them or something okay right it just felt like they weren't they were scared of any kind of complexity sure also you're maybe not uh, as common of an artist for them because they're not coming up with a lot of the ideas yeah that too and so the, I don't well whatever. So that was so long ago I can't even remember. Well, sure. So yeah, and so but back to so now, now. I'm going to try learning another system and building another persona. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else about uh, your campaign strategies or slogans that you'd like to share with us? Um, well, I mean, everyone wants to know about my policy, and uh, I think the uh, the biggest uh, idea that I'm dealing with is the conflict between capitalism and democracy. Mm-hmm. And how uh, there's sort of a double standard happening where I feel like politicians want to talk about democracy, but really they are focused on capitalism. Okay. And it ends up being that the government is run by people who are more focused on money than people. I think that if I can find some kind of reconciliation between democracy and capitalism, it's a very difficult job sure that's the thing that i think about most and i think that will be the thing that will solve immigration issues it will solve climate change it will solve all these things because all that stuff is tied to businesses and making money and profit right and everyone wants to vote kind of a a daddy into a business daddy into the office because they feel like they're going to take care of them well he could run a business so that's what i mean and so everyone keeps thinking the way to run a government is to run it like a business and i think that is exactly why we're in these dark times yeah i think it's the opposite really it's actually the opposite Mm mm-hmm so I know everyone gets freaked out about, you know, when you talk about regulation and taxes and obviously everyone is using international capitalism uh-huh. to drive everything. And then they want to focus on nationalism mm-hmm. to kind of create this fear and xenophobia. So the other goal for me is to just do away with government by fear. Mm-hmm. Like, can we just please stop being trying to scare everyone into an idea? Sure. And focus on positive change, clear communication, yeah, no fear, right? Things that can happen, things that of, can happen instead yeah. of things that might happen. Sure, like all the noise about um, the wall. Uh, it was, that's such a I can't even say the word because it's completely a distraction and a waste of time. We'll call it Bob. Yeah, call that Bob. It's too. another Bob. Yeah, it's another Bob. It's goddamn Bob's. Damn Bob's. <laughs> I want to talk about Sir a little bit more. Okay. Though, because you said earlier it's a record about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite tracks on it, Have Fun Tonight, I feel like it's about non-monogamy. And Correct. That's, I just really like that because it's not really a common topic. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's like, uh, I think an Olivia Newton-John song where she sort of asks, why not? Why, why can't the three of us just live together? Right, but right. other than that, there's not too many. Yeah. Yeah, no, I felt uh, when I started writing the record, I was in a long-term relationship that was uh, a non-monogamous or open or I don't know what non sounds so negative. I mean, yeah, anyway, sure, it was right. an unconventional relationship. 
or different. I don't know. What, what is the It's word? a relationship with the possibilities of other excitement. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I felt that there were no contemporary things that were reflecting the narratives that I was living. Sure. And um, in the past, you know, Warren would always sort of advocate for me to change pronouns because mm -hmm. he wanted me to make the music more universal. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that long and hard. And... Uh, basically, I said I can't change the pronouns because I realized that this concept of universal was not true. Basically, it just meant that it was assumed heteronormative. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can't change pronouns and I can't, I need to really focus on uh, sharing these narratives that I'm experiencing. And I think other people are experiencing mm -hmm. as we're going through these wildly different social times sure. where we're going through a sexual revolution with access to pornography mm -hmm. and sex apps and the dawn of prep and all these things that were having a big impact on me personally. Yeah. I felt like I needed to reflect those narratives. Mm -hmm. Are you currently in a, let's say a, a relationship with uh, exciting other possibilities? I am not. I'm very single. Are you enjoying it? I am. I go back and forth. Uh -huh. I can't decide. I mean, I love intimacy and I yeah. love, uh, uh, being close with people and I'm not into disconnected, you know, uh, robotic kind of sexual relationships. Yeah. I'm very emotional and sharing and blah, 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 blah. But I've kind of learned to how to do that in a way that's not, uh, necessarily a traditional I tend to have a lot of affairs. Sure. Yeah. You know. Now, do you resume the affairs? Maybe when, if it's something where you're in a different land and you have an affair. And I mean, that's away. the other thing that's really difficult for me to have a consistent relationship is because I have been traveling so much. Yeah. There's no way for me to have one single partner that could, I can't, I don't even have the time to sort of establish that bond. What's the communication like via text and all that with uh, not say multiple uh, partners, but when you're having affairs and then, you know, maintaining contact with people, yeah. is it a lot of not maintenance, but communication? I mean, there's definitely, I have a lot of digital relationships, yeah. which I'm tiring of, really? I would say. And uh, in general, most people that I end up uh, being involved with, I tend to meet them IRL. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them on the dance floor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier about uh, Pride Month. So let's get into that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Because you, you debuted some of your uh, campaign goods yes. and gear right yes. during Pride. Yes. And Pride really started at the beginning of the month for you, right? Yes, definitely. It started at the beginning of June. Um, I came back to the United States to file for my artist visa mm -hmm. because I've been living in France. Sure. Basically on a tourist visa, which is very challenging because you're only allowed three months in, three months out. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of things. I can't have a bank account. I can't have a lease. Huh. I can't, you know, so it's been very like living in between. So sure. I came back to the States to apply for an artist visa, which I got last week. Oh, congratulations. Week. So now I can travel freely between right. uh, the United States and Europe, mm -hmm. the Schengen region. And then because of that, I ended up extending my trip and staying through pride which i'm glad that i got to do i am as well because we got to do this true yeah no it's been it's been a uh very relaxing slow paced <laughs> no you couldn't see the glare no you can't no i know <laughs> no, i know well you know what that's also part of it is to start to just i i encourage everyone to pretend pretend you're running for president it puts you in an interesting mindset so i was like okay you're 
you're running for president. Yeah. You're going to announce it on the 4th of July. Right. You're in the United States. You have to be in the United States. There you, you can't go. be in France. Mm-hmm. You can't go running back for couture. <laughs> you got to be here. It's Pride Month. You're a New yeah. Yorker. It's World Pride. Yeah. You got to be here. You got to represent your home base because the home base is key to your success. So, yeah. you know, it's like, what, how do you present yourself? What, do, what does the president wear? You know. <laughs> Certainly. All yeah. those things. So... I started off the month um, volunteering at God's Love We Deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, and uh, God's Love We for? Deliver is a, a organization that provides meals uh, for people with HIV and AIDS mm-hmm. and other terminal illnesses. It's been around for many years. And is there a place where people could donate if they feel so yeah, moved yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. You can okay. donate to God's Love We Deliver, or you can volunteer uh, packing meals and delivering mm-hmm. meals. Um, so I did that at the very beginning. I think I did that on June 1st which was really cool and amazing. I did it with milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, milk was there. Um, so we packed meals. Then I went to the LGBT centers. Uh, they had a um, pride. Uh, they, they have a thing called fashion centers. It's a sort of fashion driven gala. Mm-hmm. So I went to the gay and lesbian centers gala. Um, God, what was the other? I went to another benefit. I can't remember. The first week of June was all benefits and galas. <laughs> As it should be, right? As it should yeah. be. Prada dressed me very generously. Uh-huh. So, you know, borrowed a lot of things. <laughs> so I look rich and rich people aren't scared of me. Perfect. And then Perfect. I returned it. I think the other reason why I think an artist would be very good as a presidential candidate is because as an artist, I don't, com- I, and my family, I don't come from wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had to learn to exist, like you say, kind of like access to luxury and wealth, but sure. also sort of an outsider at the same time. Right. And, you know, collectors are wealthy people and mm-hmm. you have relationships with these people that have wealth. And I have relations with other people who don't have wealth, who are also artists that are yeah. aspiring. And so I have a kind of, I would say, a skill to relate to people from many different socioeconomic backgrounds. Right. Um, which is an important thing and it's kind of, um, not rare, but it's not as common as it should be. Yeah. It's not something that just happens naturally in someone's career. Right. Uh, if you work at a bank, that's just not going to happen. Right. But if you're an artist, it kind of does. Sure. You end up having these waves of access and resources and power Mm -hmm. and then being sort of out of fashion and with less at times. And there's a moment I was reading about. Uh, I think on the tour for the second Fisher Spooner album mm-hmm. where you, it seemed like maybe there there were some problems with the tour mm-hmm. or the financing for the tour. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you would talk about that a little bit because one of the things, one of the themes rather that I like to hit on the show a lot is when you have a downtime or you have an unexpected, um, unfortunate turn of events. Yeah springing back from that yeah especially after you know the success of the first record yeah. and then you're making the second one uh and then you're touring and then what happened oh my god well there have been unfortunately there have been many times like that and okay. it is sort of uh unfortunately a part of show business sure. where you end up in a situation um with agents managers labels a whole infrastructure of people that are making money off of you yeah and what has happened to me a couple of times is that no one's really looking out for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as the manager is getting their 20% and the booking agent is getting their 10% and the business manager is getting their 5%, <laughs> yeah. they don't, no one really looks beyond that. Sure. And so 
oftentimes I'm so immersed in work, especially yeah. on tour when you're performing almost every night. Right. But definitely there was a tour for entertainment in mm-hmm. 2009, I think. And uh, it was uh, around the time of the economic collapse of 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stupidly, uh, I'm a hard worker and I will kind of become very dedicated to an idea. Yeah. And I will work until that idea comes to fruition, sometimes at my own loss. Okay, And sure. this was an example of that, where I had a manager and a booking agent, and they put together a tour, and I played the most shows I've ever played, mm-hmm. something like, it was something crazy, like 70 shows within 90 days. Yeah. So there was no time off, sure. constantly traveling. Right. And basically, I got to the end of that tour, had never worked harder, had never made a better show, conceptually on point, visually on point, musically on point, like everything was like on point. I get to towards the end of the last show, and uh, I'm on the phone, it's five o'clock in the morning, I'm in Bilbao, Spain, I'm about to perform for 50,000 people under a full moon Mm -hmm. and I'm on the phone with my business manager in Los Angeles. I'm like, Hey, you know, tours coming to an end. Uh, I need to pay the rent. Yeah. You can kind of live in this nether realm when you're on tour because everything like housing, food, everything sort of is handled. Sure. When you get to the end of the tour, all of a sudden you just kind of get shit out and all (laughs) of a sudden you have to become a real person again. Uh It's a bit of a shock. I imagine it's a shock. And I was on the phone with my business manager, and it was literally like that scene from Sunset Boulevard where the writer is on the golf course mm-hmm. talking to his agent or his manager saying, I need 300 bucks to keep my car, or they're going to take my car. Yeah. And the agent says, I'm not going to give you the 300 bucks. You know, the greatest writing is done when an artist has nothing. Right. I literally had that exact <laughs> same fucking phone call oh my with God. my agent while I'm in About, Spain, yeah. I have a tour manager yelling at me like, you have to be on stage right now. And I'm telling my business manager, please transfer money into my account because I need to pay the rent. Right. He says, honey, he's like, you didn't make any money on this tour. Oh, my God. Yeah. I lost $100,000. Oh, my God. So he was like, I'm going to give you $300 just so you have something to eat. <sighs> I got that news. And then I had to go on, go stage, on stage and perform. And, yeah. Deliver and then a... basically I had like the most beautiful nervous breakdown mm-hmm. in the middle of a merge in that show. What did that look like? Um, I broke into this weird chant that I did not plan. And it's a section of text that I keep coming back to mm-hmm. over and over and over again, where the dancers were dancing. We were kind of freaking out. It's the finale of the show. And I start screaming at the top of the, my lungs. I don't know why. I started screaming, my body is a weapon. My body is a tool. My body is a language. My body is for you. My body is a weapon. My body is a tool. My body is my language. My body is for you. And then I give this like 15-minute speech yeah. about entertainment and how it's a machine built to devour people. And how I was like... I'm going to put a shotgun to my head. My bus is going to roll off the highway. I'm going to OD. I'm going to nah, nah, nah. just making reference to all the people that have kind of sure. been devoured yeah, yeah. by show business yeah. and talking about how it's a machine built to kill. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, yeah, if you look up on YouTube, there's like a 15 minute monologue from Bill Bell 2009. That's pretty fierce. 
Uh, I think we might excerpt that yes. for a little uh, context. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I haven't listened to it in a long time. <laughs> Beautiful, too. Me, like, in a gorgeous costume, like, with all these giant mirrors under a full moon in Spain. I'm looking forward to seeing that. If we had more time, I'd, I'd watch it with you and then record the reaction. Uh, I don't want reaction. to see that. Well, then, I'd see, I guess it's a shame we don't have the time. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned milk, and one of your very good friends is uh, uh, of interest to our listeners, for sure, yeah. Violet Chachki. Yes. When did you meet? Um, we met, it's a really funny story. I'd never watched Drag Race. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I, I wasn't a very, um, uh, I would say I was not a, um, very diligent, uh, traditional homosexual, even (laughs) up to like three years ago. And then, but three years ago you got into line. Well, I went through this big breakup. Yeah, I kind of got it together. It's like, I got it together. I, you know, it's actually really funny. Like, just, you know, I'm 49 now. Mm-hmm. And so I would say around, yeah, like around 45, 46, I had a, went through a lot of changes. Yeah. And a lot of my friends were like, oh my God, it's like you're coming out again. Wow. It's like you're 18 starting. So I kind of started over, yeah. like, sexually, emotionally, like everything just a couple years ago and now it's weird like so many of my friends are like 26 or 27 so i've kind of reverted back in a strange way yeah um i don't know it's a very strange like basically i feel like i weirdly have been blessed to have all this knowledge sure and then weirdly have time traveled back and start over which is great I was in a very, very, very long relationship, and that ended about two and a half years ago or something. What's good is I can't remember the exact time, which mm-hmm. I like. And then uh, since then, now I've had a sort of rebirth of yeah. sorts and yeah. discovered fluidity and all sorts of things. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really good. I'm it's 43. not the shape of your life you imagined, which right. is, can be very disorienting once you get past <laughs> those expectations. That's true. And then you realize, oh shit, like the times have changed. I've changed. I've changed. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of amazing ways to live that you couldn't have imagined with the knowledge you had. Absolutely. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, Violet, we met, I would say, there was a performance, a Charlie Lemondu show that I went to in New York. It must have been around 2015 or 2016. Uh-huh. And we went to this show, and I had never watched Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like um, competition shows. Sure. I hate all the bumpers. I don't like commercial. I don't like the structure. Okay. You know, like, here's what happened. Here's what's coming up. <laughs> I do hate you know? that. And they have, coming like, just next, recap and I, then yeah. and forecap and, like, all. I'm it's just maddening. like, bitch, just, like, play the show. <laughs> yeah. It's about 10 minutes of content. Right, right. It's like, I don't need to see all the, like, lead up and the run in and the back up and the front and then cut to yeah. commercial and then come back and see the same thing again yeah. to see it again to then actually see the scene play out to then recap the scene to see the other scene that then go the commercial then come back so just like structurally i just don't like it yeah it's something so, also because it's like hey we're here we're watching this like it, can we have an option where you don't fuck with us like and just this? can i just watch the yeah the goddamn can thing? i watch the yeah. action yes. i just want to get to the action exactly yeah so i did i never watched drag race i was at the show violet came up to me she introduced me she loves to tell this story she came up to me she introduced herself i had zero not she had literally just won drag race so oh, right, she was like the right. queen of the world yeah she came up to me and introduced herself i had no idea who she was at whatsoever uh-huh. and i said okay cool you know like she was like i'm a big fan blah blah blah. i was like i was cordial but i wasn't like i didn't have any she assumed that i knew who she was and that i would be thrilled and that <laughs> yeah. i was gonna be like girl i can't believe oh when my god you, do you like my how music? dare you <laughs> you know what a cunt and i had no knowledge or anything to share with her yeah sure and so i just kind of walked away 
And then we kept crossing paths. Then we ended up going, uh, being at Lifeball together. Mm-hmm. And I saw her perform at Lifeball, and I could not believe like the looks. Sure. I was like, damn. Like the looks were incredible. And then I saw her perform a little bit. I was like, shit, I think I like her. Yeah. And then we crossed paths again in New York that fall. So that must have been the fall of 2017. I saw her at a uh, Merton Marcus book party at the Uh public hotel. And I was like, felt like we bonded a little bit more. And I was excited to hang out with her then. And then I went to Paris, and then I ended up, you know, jumping ship and hiding in Paris. <laughs> right. And she had seen, I guess she saw online that I was living in Paris, hanging yeah. out in Paris. And so in January of 2018, um, she sent me a message and she was like, hey, you know, are you in Paris? I'm going to be in Paris. And I said, no, I'm actually in Milan. I'm going to a fashion show, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh my God, I'm coming to Milan too. So we had this crazy moment where we were both like flown in to go to fashion shows. It was the first time anyone had ever flown me in to a show. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the first time someone had really like given me clothes and paid me to come to a fashion show. Okay, yeah. And so she was on a similar fashion trajectory where she was getting paid, she was getting flown, she was getting dressed. And... Uh, so we had this kind of like amazing connection because we were both experiencing this thing at the same time, this thing at the same time that was very exciting. And, uh, and it was so nice to have someone to share it with. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I felt like I had kind of clung to a relationship for so long is I didn't want to be famous and alone. Oh, and so, uh, once I let that go, it was, this was kind of like one of those revelations where I was like, you can share with, you don't have to share with one primary person. Like right. you can share with someone else. And, yeah. and so anyway, and share Violet, different things with different people. You share as with well. different things with different yeah. people and it yeah. doesn't have to be the same one. And, yeah. da, 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 da. and so we had this crazy moment where our schedules just collided yeah. and we were both being sort of like, spoiled in this like magical (laughs) way that like in the past if i was with someone they would feel threatened by it or they couldn't share in it or the shadow or something yeah there's like it's so it was so nice that we were like and it literally was like i ended up in milan on thursday she came in on friday that friday night we met at my hotel we had drinks we had mutual friends come over and then it was literally like within one week like the fashion world just like because we had chemistry because it was all everyone was watching it online then all of a sudden it was like we were like the dynamic duo right yeah of the fashion world yeah i remember seeing like looks and everything and little oh my god it was so crazy and and everything and it was fun because you know it's very i mean i it all looks very frivolous and fun but it's actually super stressful and strange and especially yeah. if you're doing it alone, like going into a fitting and sure. you trying to look good and you don't know what the politics are or the relationship or what you can ask for. And you're trying yeah. to like maintain a certain image and yeah. look good and feel good. And so and it was take nice. take care of yourself yeah. when you're home or at the, wherever you're staying. Exactly. Yeah. And so we were, you know, so anyway, we had these great, amazing, fun season that kicked off and it was literally like we met on friday um we went out that friday i went to a zinnia show i met her afterwards at the mandarin hotel then our friend our mutual friend fabio zambernardi who's the creative director the design director at prada 
who's someone that I know from when I went to Milan to try to be a model when I was 25, mm-hmm. is a huge fan of Violet's. Okay. So then it was this intergenerational thing because it was yeah. like someone who I knew when I was 25 trying to, be, trying to be a model that was friends with her. And then we all, then yeah. all of a sudden we got swept up into the Prada family. Mm-hmm. And that was crazy because then they were like, go to the store and take whatever you want. And then we both had a wow. nervous breakdown in the store because we were like, what do you take? How do you take? Is it what's yeah. too much? What's too little? They said it's okay, but is it they okay? They said it's okay, but is it okay? <laughs> and so we were like, you know. So, yeah. So it was really like this crazy thing. <laughs> they and brought me to dinner. I didn't know if I should get the steak, though, because, you know. You're, it's it's true. <laughs> you're trying to be like cool, but yeah. you're still there like take. But you're like, it's it doesn't. Sometimes when dreams come true, they can be very disorienting. You don't know and what the And it's almost to do hard to accept success. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because you get so accustomed to not being successful or so accustomed to not having what you need or what you want. Struggling. That when it comes, you almost can't believe it or accept it. So it's kind of like she and I are, you know, I'm like, girl, I'm just going to take until they say don't take anymore. (laughs) Could pick the store clean. I was like, and then of course, you know, like I picked a jacket and I got in trouble and someone came down (laughs) and said, you have to put it back. And then I got an attitude. And then, you know. What was the attitude like? They told me. That. Well, it just, uh, it's a lot of work for me to like put a look together. And so, <laughs> so someone's getting in the way of that. Yeah. And so I had kind of done the creative and Violet yeah. had told me you should wear that jacket. And then I didn't so know. It was her fault. It was, her it was fault. partly her fault. And then also the added complication of, you know, Violet, it's like, does she choose menswear? Does she choose women's? Sure. Right. And like, right. are you going to dress a man or woman? She was kind of having a, 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 a male crisis. She yeah. was like, I never buy clothes as a man. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, honey, fucking dress nicely as a man sometimes too. Yeah. You know, pardon me for a second. The next guest uh, just oh, yeah. texted. Let me just grab Mike and we can, then we can wrap up. Hey, it's John Cameron Mitchell on a beautiful spring day in New York. And I really love your show, Craig, but I really do need to know um, for my own peace of mind and perhaps yours, if you're gay, are you gay? I always like to know when when someone's gay. And forget I asked this if it's uncomfortable for you, Um, but it's an uncomfortable world, so you should be ready to be uncomfortable. Yeah, girl. Oh yeah, yeah. Hedwig okay, for pre- Hedwig for president, twenty twenty. Uh, I I welcome it, please. I wish you would run for president. I am running for president. You are. Yes. You're like Roseanne Barr. Uh, <laughs> in so many ways, she's right? running yeah, for no. mayor and stuff. <laughs> no, We're joined now by Mike Potter, who will be taping an episode with shortly. I, I didn't want to interrupt Casey's. You can interrupt. No, we thought it would be a fun. This is like the Merv Griffin show. Oh God. Oh God, that's a great idea. <laughs> oh Merv, <laughs> it's the new Merv Griffin show. Is he dead? Mm-hmm. He's alive. He's dead. He, no, he's dead. He died a couple of years Gay, ago. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, Eva Gabor's pseudo boyfriend remember i mean i remember that he was closeted and that he was probably gay and and he owns he owned the atlantis hotel in the bahamas but his girlfriend oh, did? quote unquote was eva gabor i didn't know that i didn't know yeah. that he also um because he created jeopardy and he created the he uh-huh. wrote the theme song so the amount of money he made he al- did? yes he did oh, and yeah. so the royalties off the jeopardy song alone Ugh. are insane and then also there was that lawsuit where denny terrio Accused him of sexual harassment years ago because yeah. he was the owner of Dance Fever. Oh, God, I love Dance Fever. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. So, Mike and Casey, you've known each other since... A long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was, I remember you, you know, from Don Hills. I projectile vomited on the set of one of his videos. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. Remember the one the where 15th. you're driving in the car? Yeah, yeah, you, and, you got sick on the set and, of the 15th. And we were shooting inside like a like an armory in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it, the car was inside, so it was like fumes. Oh, And they okay. called me in last minute to do whatever. And yeah, I was, I like literally like... You know, exercise. I thought it was the catering that you got sick off. I don't know of. something. I always thought it was a mixture, but I definitely feel like it was the the fumes. I could see that. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, it was a good video. Great yeah. song too. Yeah. So we were just talking about the two presidential campaigns. There's Casey's, and then of course Hedwig. Is I love the red, white, and blue Casey. Right. That outfit's amazing. Did you have it custom made? Is yeah. Margella. No, it's Nike. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. You have a little tag there. It looks like a marsh. Oh, my goodness. Right. Those shorts are amazing. <laughs> right? I mean, they're look at like, that, girl. They're like FedEx paper, like that envelope material with more see-through. I know. But the little Plus stamp- a touch of Prada. But the little stamp reminds me of, um, of uh, like, the little thing. Oh, there. it does. It it's does. It's a little Marjella to me. Is, it is very Marjella-y. Oh, my God. Wait, can I touch it? Yeah. Oh, it is. It's very, like... It's well, like I, a- the president's sporty. He's healthy. He's happy. He's sexual. <laughs> it looks recyclable yet completely chemical. Like it looks like a non um natural fiber, but it feels like paper. Yeah, I mean it is recyclable. I love it. So being green is a big part it's of your It's made campaign. out of recycled um bottles. Sustainability? Is yes, that is absolutely. That <laughs> You're like Pamela Anderson. She has those Uggs that are made out of old um cell phones and TVs. Wow. No, I didn't know that. It's wow. mostly luxurious feeling. I can't imagine all that glass and plastic crushed up into a fiber so maybe it'd be like the trapped in luxury feeling that we were talking about before yes, trapped in luxury. i love a luxury item these are the Yum. new gucci slip-ons that you can make into a loafer or a oh Ooh. slide and let me get a let me get a They're shot like of those duo because everyone was ruining their gucci loafers well i have a pair of 25 year old 20 year old gucci loafers that i still wear like honestly uh-huh. if you spend that 900 bucks it'll last you for two decades yeah you just get them resold like a thousand. I'm into times. these pumps now. Those are cute, right? Yeah, those are, those are like good. Lego. You have to get Legos to resell those. Do they bounce? <laughs> no. I just love a heavy shoe. I always love a heavy a shoe. Clunk. Yeah. Yeah. The kids are loving those big, um, ravey. The big, huge ravey. But Buffalo. then I always make fun of my neighbor for wearing Crocs. But now I see like, like you know, um, who made the Crocs? The really expensive ones. You're uh, talking Balenci- about Balenciaga. Balenciaga made them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I saw Willem was wearing a croc the other really? day. Really? Yeah. And like a drag ensemble. I was like, wow, a very thick-heeled croc. <laughs> Pink and chunky. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, ladies, I better get home. Okay. Well, it was lovely having you on the showcase. Yeah. Where do you Thanks live? So much. I thought you were in Europe. I live between New York and Paris. Oh. Of course you do. But now that I'm running for president, I got to be here more. You better be here. Yeah, yeah. certainly. You got to yeah, yeah, meet yeah. the people in it's your hometown. Much, I'm and... still running an international campaign. Do you have a first lady? No, I think the president should be single. I agree. Because if politics is entertainment, you're going to want to tune in every week to see who Casey's bringing to the gala. Oh, God. Oh, there you or go. Who's, or who's showing up late night at the gate. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Unexpected random new person yes, every day. Yes, ma'am. I'm not going to hide it. Single better. Single with no kids. Amazing. Yeah. So, well, single, and I'm like seeing a bunch of different people, and it's a lot of fun. I'm seeing no yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's no fine. one. Yeah. Kind of. Me. <laughs> I can't make I can't make up my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, think I like everybody. I think well, yeah, 
I think if you get in that race, you're going to find a lot of people want to be married to the oh, president. Oh, well, that already feel that way. Okay. you got to be careful, though. Sliding into your There's DMs. There's so many queens that wouldn't talk to me a couple years ago that are so like, oh, hey. I'm like, oh, Whoa. really? Of course. Now you're going to say hey? Yeah, they're after the glory, yeah. not, not the guy. Clout chasers. <laughs> well... And on that note, thank you so much, Casey. Thank and, you. Uh, let me call your car. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna walk. Actually. Okay. Cool. It's a pretty day. More people to see your yeah, campaign. This is you can jog in that outfit. Yeah. You can run up. Oh my god. Orchard and like right? a flag. <laughs> right. And a, and a megaphone. It definitely gets people's attention. And sing a song for us soon. We love when Casey sings a song. Mm -hmm. We do. Oh yeah, new songs are coming. Yeah. yeah. Next month, two new songs. Terrific. One about loneliness. Oh, that'll be my favorite one. <laughs> I'll relate. We come together sweetly. Yeah.